We're in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 through 21. Remember, remember, if you would stand for the reading of the Word of God. Verse 12, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir up by reminding you. That's the second remember. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. When we heard his voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is any, of any private interpretation. For prophecy never had, came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Second Peter is beware. Beware and grow. Beware but grow. And remember, he's dealing with false teachers. Deception. Your protection is your growth. The last, last time we met, we talked about adding to your faith virtue. Virtue, knowledge. Knowledge, self-control. Self-control, perseverance. Perseverance, godliness. Godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. It's a growth ladder. And we had a picture of this guy on a ladder. And he's climbing and he's growing. But make sure that you understand this. Make no mistake about this. There are times when we will slip off the ladder, but that does not mean we quit. That does not mean we go back. We have simply fallen off, we get back on, and we continue to climb. We never give up. Remember, Satan's goal is to get the babies. The roaring lion seeks the babies. Remember, you're looking at these things from En Gedi or someplace in Africa, and you see these lions coming, and they're always after the little ones, or they're after the isolated one, that sort of thing. So you want to grow, and you want to stay in fellowship. You want to stay close together. Your protection is adding, adding, adding to your faith, adding to your faith, growing and growing and growing, so you're not stumbled or lying doesn't come and take you away. For those who are actively pursuing God in his ways with the Holy Spirit power, he says that you will not stumble. If you continue to grow, you will not stumble. You will not fall. You will not have an attitude of, I quit. I'm giving this thing up. This Christianity isn't working for me. Every Christian, hear this, every Christian has setbacks. Every one of us will fall from time to time backwards. Every one of us will revert to our old flesh ways from time to time. It's not pretty. We'll go back to old stinking thinking. And remember, stinking thinking react, re results in stinking actions. Your thinking precedes your actions. Pick yourself up by the Holy Spirit's power, confess your sin, and start climbing the ladder again. And those who actively pursue God, we made a very specific statement. Those are the ones that at the end of our text last week in verse 11, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For those who are growing in Christ, for those who are bondservants, for those who have devoted their life to Christ, there will be an abundant welcoming into the kingdom of God. But there's another group called the carnal Christian. 
A carnal Christian is one that has been saved, cleansed from their sins, but never really participated with God in the sanctification process. They're over here on the left side as, as an example. Bond servant is on the right side as an example. And in between is where many of us fall. God's desire for us is to be a bondservant, a fully devoted follower of Christ. But there are some who live a carnal life, and they will get in. And it says in 1 Corinthians 3.15, as through the fire, all of their works will be burned up, and they will have nothing to show. These will not receive an abundant entrance. I don't know how that's going to play out, but the Bible continuously emphasizes how important it is for us to serve God fervently because he will reward us generously. Our God is a generous rewarder of those who serve him. So that is what we have, an abundant entrance. Now this week, Peter is approaching his death. And when a person is dying, they can fade to you absolutely what is most important to them. This is not a time for frivolity. It is not a time for funniness and that sort of thing. Peter is serious, things to remember. And he says, these are the essentials. Remember, remember, remember. This week, remember. Remember what God has done for you. Remember what he expects of you. Remember where we are going one day. Remember that we want an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. Remember that this is a journey. And remember, we will slip and fall. But pick yourself back up. Start climbing the ladder. Confess your sin, get yourself right with God, and continue the journey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher here today. I ask that you would speak through me to your people, things that you want each one of us to hear. Lord, we're coming in here from different backgrounds, different weeks, different situations, different inputs, and we need to hear from our God today. Truth that will help us through this journey called life. Teach us today what we do not know, and help us to apply, Holy Spirit, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Stephen Cole says this, People pick churches for the most superficial reasons, and these are ones that I have heard myself. Our kids like it there because it's fun. That's usually one. And then he goes on to say, the same thing could be said about a circus. It's fun. Our friends go there, and I like the atmosphere of acceptance. He said the same thing could be said about a local bar. The music rocks. I love the music. It rocks. It's great. It's wonderful. It's terrific. Well, you get the same thing at a rock concert. I get a good feeling when I go there. Well, you get the same thing at a restaurant. What we want is the truth. What we want is the truth. Postmodernism, Stephen Cole goes on to say this. He says, postmodern thinking, that there is no such thing as absolute truth, especially in the spiritual realm, and sound doctrine has taken a back seat in many in many things, and in many churches. He says, oftentimes people will say, doctrine is divisive. It's not inclusive. But holding on to sound doctrine is what is important for the church to do. He says this, even many popular pastors chant the mantra that, we will, that they, they will know we are Christians by our love, not our doctrine. You know, that's true. They will know us by our love for one another. That was one of the things that Jesus said as the last commandment in John 13, something. You you have to love one another. However, sound doctrine is important too. 50% truth is not truth. 50% truth is not truth. 
Peter nor any other apostle ever said anything like this. Peter at his death is, is, is sharing things that are absolutely essential to, to, to him. He is in the Mamertine prison. Now, we've talked about this prison before. Paul was there. Paul was there as a Roman citizen and had his head lopped off. Peter is there as a Jewish citizen, and he won't have the courtesy of a quick death. He'll be crucified. He'll be crucified upside down per his request, and he will die slowly. He will die slowly. It won't be a picnic for him. He's facing this. He knows what he's facing, and he's imploring people to remember the truth. Remember the prophetic word of the Old Testament scriptures telling that Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. The Savior of the world is coming. Remember, remember, remember. And then he came, and I saw him. I saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Change his appearance. It is real. It is true. Remember, Jesus is the only way to God. Remember that scripture is true. You can count on it. You can count on it. Remember, 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 I was an eyewitness testimony to this. Remember starting in verses 12 through 15. Remember the truth of what you have learned. Never forget what you have learned. Apply what you have learned. Verse 12, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. The present truth. For this reason means the things that he've set up to this, the climbing the ladder, the abundant entrance, not to be short-sighted on the blindness, to continue driving home, to finish the race well. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir up my reminding of you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent. I'm going to die, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease, after my death, after I am gone. For this reason, verse 12, remember the truth of what you have learned. Remember the truth of what you have learned. I will remind you always. That is the pastor-teacher's role. That is every Christian's role, to remind one another on this journey of the truth. It's easy for us to get sidelined. It's easy for us to get off track and to remind one another what the really the truth is. Peter doesn't sugarcoat it. He says simply the truth. While I am in this tent, while I am in this body, while I am in this body alive, I will stand on the truth of God's word, and I will not waver. Peter's not having a pity party, facing his death. He's not saying, poor me. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he says these words, in essence, finish your race. Jesus is our model who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. He finished his race. Paul says, finish the race. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. And the message that Peter is going to finish, finish, finish well. Peter's focus to the end is tell people the truth. Follow the master, and if need be, die for the truth. In verse 14, he says, I'm going to die. I'm going to put off this tent. There will be no rescue. Remember in Acts chapter, chapter 12, verse 13, 3 through 19, he says, an angel rescued him. Actually, he's in this prison, and he's facing death. Herod was going to chop off his head just like he did James. And Peter's snoring through all of this. An angel has to kick him in the ribs 
They're waking him up. He's not in there tribulating all night long. He has faith in his God. Whether I live or I die, I live to my Lord. That's what Peter was talking. And that angel rescued him. There would be no rescue this time. He would die for the Savior. He would die for the Savior. It was just like Jesus told him in John 13, 36, when, at his denial, when Peter says, I will follow you any place. And Jesus says, yes, you will. You will die like I will die. In John chapter 21, verse 15 through 19, Peter is then told this by Jesus. After Peter's denial, he was restored by Jesus in John chapter 21. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, that sort of thing. And in verse 18, Jesus tells him this. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. Hear that. By what death he would glorify God. Crucified, glorifying God with his death. All through our lives, from the moment that we are saved, and we say yes to the Lord Jesus, as we walk this thing called life, we are to glorify him at the beginning, in the middle, at the end, to our last breath. We have value glorifying our God. We do not turn away. We do not get weak at the last step. But we follow our God and glorify him all the way to the end. Jesus never told Peter or anyone else that your life will be a piece of cake. He never told anybody that you're going to live on Cupcake Mountain forever. He said, follow me. That's what he said, follow me. And that's his command. My sheep shall hear my voice. Oh, listen to the master. Listen for the shepherd calling you. He is calling out to each one of us. Hear his voice. Hear it. Now, we're talking about truth today. If we are going to remember the truth, we have to define what is truth. What is truth? Josh McDowell puts it this way. Truth statement is true if it matches up with the way the real world actually is. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? A statement can be proven true if it matches with reality. Truth is what is true for all people, all the time. Not my truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. Truth is consistent for all people, all the time. And I will submit to you, as Josh McDowell will say here, he says this, truth is much more than an abstract fact or a concept. It is an inescapable relational thing. Even more than that, truth is a person, and this person is Jesus of Nazareth. Truth is a person. What Jesus says is true. What Jesus said about this word is true. This you can build your life on. Everything that's coming at you, bombarding you from the outside. No, I build my life on the word of God, on the truth of the Lord. Our world today is struggling with truth. Postmodernism. What in the world is postmodernism? Well, it's a thought that is devoid of God. It is devoid of God, where it says there's no absolute truth. That's the antithesis of what God's word says. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. There must be a standard for truth, and that standard is God. 
Truth is what is true for all people all the time, and that is our God. That is our God. Jesus said these words. You want to know what he said about truth? John 17, 17, your word is truth. John 14, 17, the Holy Spirit is the truth. And then he said about himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. It is not your truth is my truth and my truth is my, my truth. Truth is what truth is according to God's standard, not human standards. Hear what Jesus said to Pontius Pilate in John 18, 37 through 38. Now remember, Pilate was the Roman governor. Pilate was a heathen. Pilate had the opportunity to come into contact with the creator of the universe. Remember, the scripture says, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus is the truth. Hearing before Pilate, who thinks he's in charge, by the way. See, a lot of times governments think they're in charge. Kings think they're in charge. Presidents think they're in charge. Congressmen think they're in charge. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Hear what he has to say to Pilate. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. That's the words of Jesus. Pilate said to him this profound statement, What is truth? And he was standing right before the truth. That's amazing. And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Pilate knew that what Jesus was saying was true. True Christianity is of the truth. Why is Christianity true? Because Jesus is the truth. Christianity is true. Now listen to this statement. If Christianity is true, then all other world religions must be false. Why is that? Why is that? Because other religions are built on a false foundation. A false foundation. Hear what the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 3.11. No other foundation can anyone lay other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Islam is based on the teachings of Muhammad. That's not Jesus. Hinduism has thousands of gods. Buddhism, we come one with the universe. All have a works-based religion. Christianity is the only religious system that it is salvation by grace through faith in what Jesus Christ did, not what the human does. All other religions and all other cults, by the way, are working their way to God. Only Christianity that Jesus Christ has done the work on our behalf. And all we have to do is say yes to him. Yes, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I received the gift of salvation. And you come into the family of God. No other religious system has that. None. A principle here is this. Now, listen to what I'm saying. Contradictory views are mutually exclusive. Now, this should be a memory verse for you. This should be not a memory verse, but a memory statement. Contradictory views are mutually exclusive. What do I mean by that? Well, Christianity is based on salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. All other religions, again, are works-based. These are mutually exclusive concepts. They're not the same. 
In other words, all truths, you can't have both of these be true. The bumper sticker that has all those little things on it by all these world religions is not true. It cannot be true because each one of them contradicts another religion. Each one of them contradicts another religion. Hindus believe evil is an illusion. Christians believe that evil is real. These are mutually exclusive concepts. They both could be wrong, but they cannot both be right. It is up to the person to deduce what the truth is. To seek the truth for themselves. Examine the evidence to discern the truth. Christianity has the greatest evidence for truth of any world religion. We have something that trumps everyone else. We have a risen Savior. Seen by over 500 people at one time. Identified by, the, by all the apostles. Seen by his brother James. Seen by, his, by Paul. His half-brother James. Seen by Paul. Eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of our Lord. No other world religion has this. None. Only Christianity. Mutually exclusive. The truth is this, folks. All spiritual roads do not lead to heaven. That is a deception. That is a deception. Again, we have John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. But we also have Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. When Jesus uses the metaphor of a gate, he, uses, he talks himself about being a door. He's the only door to God. He is the only gate to God. He is the only way to God. Watch what he says here in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. This is familiar scripture to most people. The little narrow gate, the little teeny, itsy-bitsy, one-way-in gate. The world wants to say every way gets there. Oh, no. Jesus says, who, by the way, always tells the truth, it's a narrow way. It is the Jesus way. It is the only way. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, many who are deceived, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Look, God always works through a few. A faithful few. A faithful remnant. Hopefully you are that remnant. That few. It's up to each individual to follow the evidence and search for truth. If a person is honest, seeking the truth, they will find the truth in Jesus Christ. John 8.31 says this, If you abide in my word, if you dwell in my word, if you make your home in my word, men know if you stay in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you what? Free, free, free of deception, free to live a life for Christ, free to live a life of free of anxiety, free to live a life of joy and peace, free, free. God has not hidden his truth. So, so that we can have to grope for it and look for it in the stars or look for it in superstitious feelings. Remember he said in Acts 17, 27, that people grope for him in hopes of finding him, but he is not far from each one of us. He is, he is available to every human. He is close. He is close. Peter, knowing that his death is imminent, does not rely on the superstitious. He relies on the truth of the word. 
The truth for life is this. Listen to this. Truth for life is not found in chat rooms. You are not going to find chat room truth for life. Strange website, university classroom, world system that we live in, you will not find truth for life there. Read the truth that's God's word, and the false and deception will become very apparent. The problem today is the majority of people want their truth. I demand, I'm an American, I want my truth, and I want you to receive my truth. And I'll tell you, Satan and the world system are very accommodating to that attitude. Oh, I'll give you your truth as long as you don't get the real truth. 1 Timothy 4.1 says this. This is the epoch of time that we are living in now, I believe. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Folks, that's the truth. Peter is exclaiming, remember the truth. Remember the truth. Verse 16, remember what is not the truth. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he's going to talk about the Mount of Transfiguration next. But here what we have to say for this now. Cunningly devised fables. What are these? Well, these are myths. Something fabricated in the mind. Remember, the mind is Satan's battlefield. Protect your mind. Protect what's coming in through your eyes, through your ears, what you see, what you hear, what you put your attention to. These are conduits for him to come in and change your thinking. It's real. Your protection is found in you being transformed. Transformation. Romans 12, 2. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. We and those who are transformed by the renewing of their mind have the mind of Christ, it says, in 1 Corinthians 2.16. And what does that mean? You have the Holy Spirit within you to allow you to think and think more and more and more like Christ. The renewed mind guards what enters it, guards what enters it. Peter's teaching is this. Do not rely on myths. Do not rely on these false teachers. Do not rely on this false information that's coming at you, the deceiving false teachers. Our Lord is true. And he says this. He makes a statement here. I don't want to miss this. He says this. We have made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the parousia, the second coming of Christ, when he sets up his kingdom on earth. We have made this known to you. Now he's going to transition into talking about what he saw about this coming kingdom and the glorified Jesus. In verse 17 and 18, he says this, Remember, I was there. I had eyewitness testimony. Mount of Transfiguration. If you would, while I'm talking here about this next verse, please turn to Matthew chapter 17. But at the same time, listen to what I'm saying. Verse 17 17 and 18. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. That's Jesus received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard his voice, this voice which came from heaven, and we were with him on the holy 
mountain. We were eyewitnesses of what was going on on the Mount of God. What happened here in, in, in Matthew chapter 17 succinctly is this. Peter, James, and John, the inner circle were on the mountain with God. The inner circle were there, and in verse 2, he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. That word transfigured is this. It is metamorpho. It means a change of condition from earthly to heavenly. It is as though Jesus took out this external, this exterior, peeled it back, and his glory just shone through, at least some of it. At least some of it. His face shone like the sun. His clothes like, became white like light. Moses and Elijah were there. Now, I want you to just note, if you haven't ever written this in your Bible, that puts to death soul sleep. These two guys are alive. And they're talking to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Talking with him. And then Peter answered and said to him, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. You know what he wants to do? The Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, is an is a end-of-the-year feast that celebrates the coming kingdom. And what Peter sees here is that, oh, no, this is it. This is it. This is the kingdom of God. Look at Jesus here. I'm never, this is amazing. Look at this. Let's set up booths now because we're setting up the kingdom. But notice what happens. While he was still speaking, Peter's talking. A bright cloud overshadowed them. It's, it's the glory of God, the Shekinah. And a, suddenly a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Now I want you to notice something. These people were not, Peter, James, and John were not overwhelmingly, they were, they, it was an overwhelming experience, but they were not as terrified of that experience as they were the next. And when the disciples heard it, the voice of God, the voice of God, they fell on their face and were greatly afraid. But watch this. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. The shepherd is with you. Do not be afraid. Hear this. Our transformation starts here when our minds are transformed to be more and more like Christ. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, and start that process of sanctification, our transformation starts here. But it does not end here. Our transformation is completed when we see him in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. Hear that. This is intimacy. This is family. We are children of God. It's intimacy. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, transformed, glorified. That's what awaits us. This is a special time. This is an amazing thing. You're not going to be stuck in this body that's deteriorating. We're getting a new body. What did John see on the Isle of Patmos? Something very similar, but much more dramatic. On the Isle of Patmos, in Revelation chapter 1, 12 through 18, watch what, watch what John saw. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, which are the churches. If you do a study in Revelation, these are the seven churches. And in the midst of the seven lampstands was one like the Son of God, code for Jesus, the Messiah, 
clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. This is a priestly robe. His head and hair were white like wool, as, as white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were fine, like fine brass, purity as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. The voice of God. And he had in his right hand seven stars, which are the pastors of the seven churches. Out of his mouth went this sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. This had to take him back to the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were there. But this is more intense. This is more intense than that. Watch what happens here. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forever. Oh, that's the compassion of Jesus. The glorified Christ. The glorified Christ. Peter says, I was on the mountain. I was an eyewitness of his majesty. I was there. It's all true. Finally, in verse 19 through 21, Remember that we have the prophetic word. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, in a murky place, until the day dawns, oh, and the morning star rises. That's Jesus in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. You can't make this stuff up as you go. For the prophecy never had, never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter had an amazing experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. But notice what his focus is on here. It is on the prophetic word of God. It wasn't the voices. It wasn't the visions. His focus is on the prophetic word of God. The emphasis is on the word, not experience. The emphasis on the word, not experience. Not experience. It is through the word that the light shines. The darkness, the murkiness is displaced. The morning star rises in your hearts. You're saved. You're living for Christ. He's coming back for you. It's all valuable. It's all purposeful. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed. How? Through the word of God. Through the word. How important? It's very important. Every believer has an aha moment. Do you realize that? Every believer has an aha moment that is real. Jesus is true. His, his word is true. I believe this message. I say yes to Jesus Christ. It's all true. It's all true. Now, a question that people often ask, and you tell me if you haven't had this question asked to you, where did God's word really come from? Well, verse 20 and 21 said it, was, it came from the Holy Spirit. Where is Satan's frontal attack today, and actually all through the epochs of time, the Word of God. Remember in Genesis 3.1, right at the beginning, right at the fall, he challenges the Word, has God indeed said. This challenge of the Word has been going on through the centuries. One strategy that Satan uses is this, keep the Word from the people overtly, forcefully. Don't allow the people access to the Word. Only a select few can interpret the scripture, the clergy, the priest, the popes, that sort of thing. And this happened for centuries. Centuries, keep the word from the people. 
until Luther came along and discovered that, hey, it's salvation by grace through faith. Luther was taken captive. And Luther was taken captive and taken to the castle at Wartenberg. These are his friends who kidnapped him to save him from being killed. And while he was in that castle, he translated the Bible into German. So the people would have the word of God. Strategy. Overtly keep it from the people. Second strategy is this. Covertly. Covertly. Make people feel like they don't need the word. Now that's happening a lot today. Keeping the word from the people. Most churches, you don't see Bibles. You don't see Bibles. They're not needed. There's an overhead. There's a little snippet of the scripture usually taken out of context to prove a point that's in the sermon. Where are the Bereans? That's my question. Where are the Bereans? Searching the scripture to what is said as truth. You out there are Bereans searching what I say as truth. And when I say something off, what do I get? That's right. I, I deserve it. And I want to be brought back. I want to be brought back. So that's the second strategy. Thirdly, some say the Bible came from man. That's the Bible came from man strategy. How could it possibly come from God? How can it possibly be translated accurately? Man wrote it, and man is fallible, so it's got mistakes in it. And finally, the Bible is full of contradictions, mistakes, strategy. The Bible, it's just saying the Bible's just not true. Full of mistakes, full of contradictions. Even if it's God-breathed, humans can't possibly write this, transfer this information from page to page to page over the centuries. That argument has been absolutely, thoroughly debunked. Textual criticism has disproved this myth. Biblical manuscript evidence is overwhelming. The big thing that happened was in 1947 at a place called Qumran, which is next to the Dead Sea, close to the Dead Sea. Some little shepherd threw a rock, hit a vase, the vase broke open, and he went and examined it. And then he found text, biblical text. All the books of the Old Testament were there except for Esther, Many of them in full, some of them in fragment. But the whole book of Isaiah was found. And it was found to be absolutely accurate when compared with the information written by the Masoretics. Now, the Masoretics were scribes. And the oldest information that we had on the Old Testament was from the Masoretics, dating back to 1000 AD. So the argument was this. No one could possibly transfer this information for these thousands of years with it being accurate. Can't be done being accurate. When they compared Isaiah with the Masoretic text, it was almost identical. God preserved his word. That put an end to this transmission error philosophy. Put an end to it. God has preserved his word. God's word has been preserved. It is accurate. It is truthful. And remember, I've said this many times, if you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1, you will have no trouble believing that you have an accurate word of God here. And by the way, what you hold in your hand here, there's five to 6,000 Greek texts, when compared with one another, have amazing accuracy. We have 98.5% transmission accuracy in this word. There's nothing in antiquity that compares with this. Nothing that Plato wrote, Socrates wrote, or any ancient writer wrote compares with the accuracy that we have in our hands today. Oh, that myth has been put to rest. 
it has been put to rest. The God who created the heavens and the earth can get us a reliable word. Easy. We have the prophetic word. It's all true. Thy word is light. It's a light that shines in the darkness. Psalm 119, 130 says this. The entrance of your word gives life. It gives understanding to the simple. And I would encourage you, start your day with God's word. Psalm 119, 147. I rise before the dawn of the morning and cry out for help. I hope in your word. Most of the Christian world hides in fear. Do you know that? They're hiding in caves. They're hiding. You go to Egypt. You go to North Korea. You go to China. You go to most of the world. They're hiding, and they're cherishing whatever word of God they have. If they have a sheet, a sheet, it'll be a worn-out sheet, memorized sheet of the word of God. It is a treasure. It is a treasure. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that Satan is so determined to destroy our faith in the Word of God. And no wonder why Peter was so determined to strengthen our faith in it. You can trust it. We have the prophetic word. We have the prophetic word. Conclusion, let's just remember. Remember what you've been taught. Peter is encouraging his readers to remember the importance of the prophetic word of God, the truth of Scripture. Many today, many today want to hear a new word from God. This is the mantra today. And I want you to remember, you have the truth of the Word of God. How often have you heard this? God spoke to me, God told me, that sort of thing. Not in the sense that we believe that God speaks to our hearts through His Word or impression upon us, but these people believe that they're actually getting words like the Old Testament prophets, ex-cathedra from the mouth of God to the prophet's ear. And they are believing this today, that they are New Testament prophets, much like the Old. This is not true. God has given us his word. He speaks to us through his word today. How do I know? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Very quickly, this is the truth. God at various times, in various ways, spoke in the past, in the past to the fathers by the prophets, past by the prophets, has in these last days. What are the last days? From Jesus to today. The last days until his second coming has spoken us by his Son. How? Through the word of God. Thy word is truth. God speaks today through his word. Chuck Swindoll says this. First, remember, when you turn to God's word, you're consulting the most reliable of all sources. And secondly, remember, when you make other sources, experiences, dreams, feelings, the stars, whatever, the prophetic word that someone... By the way, if you're going to be a prophet and you want to claim that, how accurate do you have to be? 100%. If you're not, what do you get? You get the stone, okay? Nobody's, nobody's bragging about their 100% accuracy. They all say, well, we're learning. No, no. The prophet knew the word from God. It was 100% accurate. That's how you tested it. Now, the question is this. What is your final authority for life? When you're cornered and you're reeling against some difficult situation, when you're forced to face reality, what do you lean on? When it comes to establishing a standard for morality, what is your ruler? When you need an ethical compass to direct your ways, how do you make it? How do you know which way is north? When you're on a stormy, churning sea of emotions, which lighthouse shows you where to find the shore? God has given us his word. Read it. Meditate on it. 
Psalm 119 says, I will meditate on your precepts. I will contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your word. Meditate on it. With such wonderful benefits extended to us, it would be foolish not to lean on the word of God as our final authority in life. Peter is just screaming, remember, remember, remember what you've been taught. The pastor teacher's job is to help you to remember. Each one of our jobs with one another is to help each one of us to remember. It's not just one person. It's all of us together. When someone gets off track, we help them to remember. This is the way. Walk in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. And Lord, this is the word of God. This is the inspired, infallible word of God. No prophecy of Scripture came by the prophet's own interpretation, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We have it here, your truth, what you want us to know for this time that we are call our earth life. I pray that we will be immersed in your word, that we will abide in your word, that we will dwell in your word, be at home in your word, and live according to its precepts. And may we not go to the right or to the left when we hear the woo of the world or the woo of another way. May we say, no, this is the way we're going to walk in it. Thank you for this teaching. Holy Spirit, please do your work in each one of us. Help us to hear exactly what you wanted us to hear out of this teaching and help us to apply it. May we apply it. May we heed it. In Jesus' name, amen.